truer words never spoken or sung. His strength is perfect, isn't it? I wonder why I don't depend on it more often. Because my strength is certainly not perfect. And thank you, choir, this morning. I I listened to the choir this morning, and I, I think I heard the women's choir in one portion of the, thought, the anthem, and the men's choir in another portion of the anthem, and it was beautiful to hear our women sing, our men sing, and then hear them sing together, raising their voices and lifting us in worship of our Lord together. And what a beautiful song they sang. So, Tracy, thank you for your continued leadership and music with our choir. And, of course, our instrumentalists are always at the top of the game, aren't they? We could just have a whole service of listening to them, I think, sometimes. Yeah. And it's always great to share the Lord's Supper together. There's no more holy time in the life of a congregation than that time. There's no more, time, no more deep time than that time to examine our lives, who we are, and where we stand in our relationship to Christ. And when we come to his table, where he has invited us to become all that he's called us to be in his grace and his glory. Well, Happy New Year. I just realized this morning when somebody said that to me that I haven't been here since the new year came. So I wanted to greet you with that greeting today. And uh, you may be having some problem with this. I, I seem to have a problem with it every year, and that is uh, writing the old year down on things instead of the new year. Anybody have a problem with that? How long does it go on? It, it go. It goes on too long, doesn't it? In fact, when I sent the title for the sermon for today, I don't know if you noticed or not, it says 2017. It's supposed to be 2018. <laughs> but uh, in my befuddled mind, I'm still living in 2017. So uh, if you'll make that change in your mind, then that will help us a great deal. Um, we had wonderful holidays visiting with our granddaughter and our children. I always have to add that because we really go to see our granddaughter. We had a great time with them and uh, had a good time uh, at, at our home with some quiet days, which we both needed. And then I taught a course last week um, in the hill country of Texas. There are hills in Texas, uh, and they're beautiful Hills, And we were down near Kerrville, which is right in the middle of the hill country, teaching a class there with 25 eager and wonderful students on faith, film, and fiction. And we read novels and uh, short stories and poetry. And each night we, we saw a film and we uh, discussed those. It's, it's a rich time for all of us. But I'm glad to be back here. And though I won't be here next week, <laughs> I'll be back the next week. So don't lose heart. I'm not going forever. <laughs> if I were to say to you, the grass is always greener, how might you respond? On the other side. The grass is always greener on the other side. It's a way of saying if things weren't what they are, they'd be different. 
It's a way of saying if I wasn't like I am, I'd be different. When I was a pastor, I used to have to, of course, approach people about doing various things in the congregation, and I hear responses like this. Well, Pastor, this is a wonderful program, and I'm so glad we're doing it, but right now my circumstances just won't let me be a part of giving leadership to it. I don't know how many times I heard that excuse. Right now, but later, come back to me, and you'll see how committed I can be. The grass is always greener on the other side. By the way, is that right? Okay. So, is it really? And as we think about moving into a new year and the things that God may have in store for us, I want us to think about that statement and how we may or may not use that statement ourselves in the course of the year to come. We're all going to be called on to be part of the life of the church in various kinds of ways. And it's always much easier to say, well, not now, but later. The grass will be greener for me, and I'll be able to do that kind of thing. If anybody had a right to say the grass is greener on the other side, it was the Apostle Paul when he wrote the book of Philippians. We heard it reading from Philippians earlier. When he wrote this letter, he had probably been in jail for four years, 48 months, 1,460 days, because he's probably writing Philippians from Rome. By the time he got to Rome, he'd already been in jail two years in Palestine. Then he made the sail to Rome, and he was in jail at least two years there. And this letter seems to be written toward the end of that period, when Paul is anticipating perhaps not a good outcome for him. And so the Philippians are concerned about Paul. He loved that congregation. They loved him. And I want you to look with me at another part of this letter, which also I think is important for our understanding of what we're talking about today. In Philippians chapter 1, look with me at verses 12 through 14. Now, if I had been in Paul's situation, if I had been a person who lived and breathed to be on the road, who was it that sang on the road again? This was Paul's theme song. On the road again. He lived and breathed to be on the road, traveling to new places, new people, to establish the church of Jesus Christ, to tell people that the Messiah, the King, the Savior of the world. But he's now been in prison for four years, not able to travel any roads anywhere. How might he have been feeling? I know how I would have been feeling. I would have been saying, why, Lord? Why have you put me in this situation and left me here? Didn't you call me to be the apostles of the Gentiles? Didn't you call me to go to all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why am I in prison for four long years? Paul was thinking, there's greener grass out there on the other side. And Lord, why don't you let me get to that greener grass and continue to preach your gospel? That's the way I would have been feeling. 
I would have been whining, asking why. But look at how Paul feels. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12. This is astounding to me. He says, beginning verse 12, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. What? Four years in jail has helped to spread the gospel. Four years of containment has helped to spread the gospel. Four years of not being able to preach has helped to spread the gospel. What's wrong with this guy? I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard or Imperial Guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, that is the Christians in Rome, most of the brothers and sisters have been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Paul says, my imprisonment, these four years, have served to advance the gospel so that the Roman soldiers have come to know about Jesus and the Christians in Rome have become bolder in their witness about Jesus because of my testimony and my stand for Christ and my willingness to be imprisoned for Christ. Paul saw his circumstances a positive, not as a negative. Because somewhere along the way during this period, Paul began to understand what was happening here. He is in Rome, right? Rome is the capital of the world. All roads lead to Rome. All the business the empire is conducted there, the manufacturing, the industry of the empire directed from there. He's in Rome, the center of the world he lives in. And in Rome, he has an opportunity to meet people he could never have met if he traveled all over the world. People who come to Rome. Everybody wants to come to Rome. And Paul was under house arrest so he could have people visit him. So no doubt there were many people who came to Paul having heard about him being in prison And perhaps they came to know Christ by Paul's imprisonment there. Sounds like that's what he's saying. My imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. And then there are all these Roman Christians who have been living under persecution and kept their nose under the grindstone, kept in the catacombs, kept away from the world for their own protection. And now they're beginning to think, well, maybe we shouldn't be trying to protect ourselves. Maybe we should be giving ourselves away for Jesus like Paul has done, even if it means imprisonment, even if it means death. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Is that true? Paul certainly seemed to believe it was true. In fact, we learn from Paul's letter, this entire letter, 
that this was a time for him of not going backwards, but going forward. Of looking at the days ahead, however many days he had. His days when he could teach, he could preach, he could write. Many of his letters that we have in the New Testament come from his imprisonment in Rome. If he was traveling all the time, he wouldn't have had time to do all this. But seated there in a prison cell, he could take pen in hand and write to the churches and strengthen the churches and deal with the problems that the churches were having. In so many ways, God was using his situation right where he was to advance the kingdom. Now, we spend a lot of time in America longing for some of the time, some of the place, some of the set of circumstances, some other place than where we are right now, where the grass is greener. We spend a lot of time dreaming of those times when we'd be able to be more bold in our witness for Christ, when we'd be able to be more active in the life of the church. Well, Pastor, I think it's a great thing, but not right now. When my circumstances change, then I'll be able to participate. The fact is, most of our circumstances aren't going to change a whole lot, are they? So what we're saying when we say that is that, well, don't count on me, really. I'm not available for service right now. But what if we became available for service? What if we began to think, uh, no, the grass is green right here beneath our feet. There are things to be done, much to be done for Jesus. As you look next week at your mission together, part of what you'll be discussing is what you are to be doing for Jesus in the days ahead, the months ahead, the years ahead. But that will mean nothing unless you are committed to doing those things Unless you're willing to say, well, I can't wait till my circumstances get better because, frankly, I know they're not going to get a whole lot different, a whole lot better. It's not another time God is calling us to. It's this time God is calling us to. It's not another place God is calling us to. It's this place God is calling us to. It's not another set of circumstances God is calling us to. It's these circumstances where we live in the now that he's calling us to be the church of Jesus Christ. And when people become committed to doing just that, then miracles start happening. The thing I think I can't do, but I'm asked to do, maybe God is telling me I should try to do it. After all, his strength is perfect. I'm not on my own in anything I'm asked to do for the church. So why don't I rely on his strength and do it? Who knows? I may surprise myself. Whatever it is, if God is calling you to it, he's not calling you to it next year. He's calling you to it now. Suppose when Jesus came to the disciples 
on the Sea of Galilee. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those first four that were called. And he, he said, come follow me. And they said, well, uh, you know, that sounds interesting. Uh, the, the trip sounds interesting. And uh, you look like a pretty good teacher to us. And, you know, I, we'll, we'll think about that. But right now, we're, we're busy with our industry, our fishing industry here. And we just can't leave that right now. Suppose they had said that. So suppose they said, when our circumstances change, then we'll be ready. And so when you come back around, uh, call on us again. Well, there's no guarantee that he'll come back around, my friends, because he's calling on us now to be the church of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that we're asked to do, no matter how big or how small, how grandiose or how minute, it is important in the kingdom's work, whatever it may be. It may be a situation where you're never going to stand in front of anybody. In front of some of us, that would be good because we don't want to do that. Or it may be a situation where you're called to stand in front of people on a regular basis You think, I can't do that, but remember, his strength is perfect in our weakness. So whatever it is in 2018, let's be prepared to do it. Whatever it is that we're late to sharing the gospel with people, And do you think there are enough people around us to keep us busy all year sharing the gospel with people? How many people in our neighborhoods are actively involved in church? How many people do we know? Most of us know only people who are actively involved in church. I was shocked one time when I was working in Pennsylvania and the guy who was leading this conference said, I want you to name five people that you know who are not Christians. Five people. We couldn't do it. Everybody we knew was a Christian. Most of them in our church. Now this is good. This is a good thing. But suppose the early disciples had said, okay, that's good enough. What might have happened to the church? The people around us are people who are important to God, just as you and I are important to God. I read a book once uh, called Blue Highways. It's really a wonderful book by a man named William Least Heat Moon, Native American, obviously. He taught English at the University of Missouri. And he was laid off during a situation where state cutbacks were requiring cutbacks on the faculties of state universities. So he got, a, he got an old VW bus. Anybody remember the VW bus? Uh, that was the forerunner of the van. He worked it out where he could actually live in it. He got his dog, and together they started out on a, tra- a travel all across America on the blue highways, not the interstates where you don't see anything, but the same thing every time you get off, but the blue highways that run right through the middle of the town. One day he came to a place called Dime Box, Texas. Anybody know where that is? 
Okay. All right. Dime Box, Texas. So he drove into town. It looked like a typical Texas small town. On one side of the main street were the Union Pacific Railroad tracks. On the other side were the stores with their false fronts. He drove down the street looking for the cafe. He found it, got out of his van, went into the cafe. It was packed, just packed. And the people were talking and talking. He couldn't find a place to sit except up at the counter. So he went up to the counter, set up on one of those stools that rotates around. Anybody remember those? Yeah, okay. And he ordered, and then he began to listen. Now, this was in the late 60s. He began to listen to what people were talking about, and he was astounded. Now, this is Dimebox, Texas, for goodness sake. This is not Dallas. This is not Houston. This is not Oklahoma City. It's not Tulsa. It's Dimebox, Texas. But they were engrossed in discussions of the Vietnam War. They were engrossed in discussions of busing for integration. Some for, some against, in both cases. And he was just kind of astounded. He said, they don't have busing here in Dombos, do they? They did, in fact. And these people are not related to the war in Vietnam in any way, are they? Well, yes, they had sons and daughters over there. Well, he listened for a few minutes, and he just was amazed. He turned the stool around so he could face the, the population, and they came kind of lulled in the conversation. You know, every once in a while in the room, there'd be kind of a lull. Everybody kind of stopped talking at the same time. And one of the people in the, uh, in the group, looking at Moon, sitting on the stool, said this. City people don't think much important happens in a place like Dimebox. And I guess it doesn't, unless you consider conflict important. Or babies. Or death. Or love. I had to put the book down. I was being called out by God. In the pages of a book by William Lee Stute Moon. You see, I had my trajectory all set for my ministry. It was based on what I thought was important, where I could make the biggest contribution. I would pastor a rural church, maybe a small rural church. Then I'd move to a suburb, suburban church. Then I'd move to a downtown church county seat, and then I'd move to the big city, First Baptist Church. That was my trajectory. But that day, God was saying to me, you've got it all wrong. The important places are not necessarily the big places because wherever people are in conflict, that's an important place. Wherever there are babies being born, that's an important place. Wherever people are dying, that's an important place. Wherever there's love, that's an important place. And that's every place, isn't it? Down Box of Dallas, it's every place. 
What I learned that day was that there is no unimportant place of service in the kingdom because there are no unimportant people in the heart of the king. There are no unimportant places of service in the kingdom because there are no unimportant people in the heart of the king. And in this church, there are places of service for each of us. And none of those places is unimportant because none of the people we touch in those places are unimportant in the heart of the king. It may be teaching third graders. It may be teaching senior adults. It may be working on the kitchen committee. No unimportant place because no unimportant people in the heart of the king. Think back on your life. Think back on some of the people that have really made a difference in your life. When I do that, you know who I think of? I think of my third grade Sunday school teacher. He had no idea he was impacting my life in such a way. I've told him since. But he had no idea. I think of a teacher I had in high school. She had no idea that she was impacting my life in this way. But she was a Christian active in the church, making a difference in lives every day. I think of the man who cleaned up our school every day, faithfully there. I asked him one day, why do you want to have this job? Naturally, I was looking down on it, thinking that there's so many more important things he could be doing than this. He said, it's a service I can do for all of you, all of you, every person in that school he was serving. We may never know who it is we're impacting who is sitting in our pew right next to us, that we embrace and welcome warmly, that we take time to get to know till the community is deepened. We never know who might be sitting right next to us. The grass is green right here, my friends. And God is saying to us as we look into the new year, 2018, are we prepared to serve right here, right now, in these circumstances? That one decision could make an incredible difference in 2018. That one decision. To take my important place in the service of the king. 
among the people who are important in the heart of the king. Whether they be in the church or out of the church, whether they ever come to church or not, am I prepared to live my life to bless the nations? You know, the only thing that God asked Abraham to do in Genesis 12, when he began to raise up his people of redemption, the only thing God asked him to do was to be a blessing to others. What if that became our modus operandi? What if everything we did, we asked, well, now how how is this going to bless people's lives? What a difference that might make. Can we be that people who become a blessing? Of course, we're doing that already in many ways, but there are more ways we can do it. And there are more of us who can be a part of doing it, if we will. If we will. I think 2018 is going to be an incredibly exciting year for this congregation. I think you have no idea what God has in store for you. I think when you come to this point next year, you're going to be absolutely astounded if, if you don't get caught up in thinking the grass is always greener on the other side. You know the Latin expression carpe diem? What does it mean? Seize the day. Not next week. Seize next week. You can't seize next week. You don't have next week yet. Not two weeks ago. It's past. You can't do anything about it. Seize the day. Today is the day of salvation. Let's seize 2018 by seizing every day and doing the will of God. It's not rocket science. It's just willingness. Lord, we are grateful that you have given us this day to live with all the opportunities that it will present to us to advance the kingdom. And we pray that not only might we seize this day, but that we might seize every day of this new year. That Christ might be honored and glorified and his kingdom spread from this place around the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.